Hi, this is Zach Glazer from Frog God Games. Grab your D20 and get ready for save for half. Talk about old school games and the modern games inspired by them. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Save for Hab, episode two. The Sub podcast where we talk about old school games that aren't classic D and D, and as usual, got the usual suspects around here. DM Jim, <laughs> hello, greetings, programs, and DM Liz. Howdy, howdy. Yeah, your statement there is going to be actually pretty accurate for this one since we're covering Gamma World, <laughs> specifically the first edition. 1978, because I found out there are like seven editions of this game. You see, I did not even know that there were that many. I knew about the second edition afterwards, but I didn't know there were any past that. Oh, yeah. it's Obviously, it's never been as popular as D&D, but it's always had a reasonable popularity because they kept bringing it back. Seven and a half, if you count Omega World in Dungeon Magazine. Oh, okay. Which is actually a nice, tight little rule set. Yeah, I heard some people, a lot of Gamma World fans, preferred that one to the one Swords and Sorcery Studios put together. Oh, let's don't talk about that edition. We'll be here all day. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to just uh, go right into the top five and see what we can do talking about the game. Uh, Before we do, though, are there any announcements? I have a little one. Okay. That is tangentially Gamma World related, sort of. I've known about this for a while, but it got announced this week. They uh, started sharing the uh, cover art for Goodman Games' free RPG Day print product online this week. It's a uh, split book with two adventures. The first adventure is a Michael Curtis DCC Lankmar adventure, and the second adventure is The Museum at the End of Time, a Mutant Crawl Classics adventure that you two have actually playtested. Oh, awesome! Yeah, the one where you killed one of the party members, Liz. Yes, I remember. Thank you. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Okay, well, that's cool. Um, But the only thing I'll mention as a shout-out to Dirk the Dice at a new, relatively new podcast called uh, The Grognard Files. Dirk the what? Dirk the Dice. Oh, okay. That's better than what I thought you said. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt he's probably thrilled, too. Uh, They are a British podcast that deals with old school games, much like we had in mind for Save for Half. So we're just going to shut down the podcast. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) No, seriously. They emphasize, of course, the games they played. You know, they're lucky enough to have more or less the same people who have gamed for the past 30 years 
you know, all still in touch with each other. And so far they've covered Call of Cthulhu, RuneQuest, Stormbringer, and Traveler. Say, I heard part of their Traveler show when you were listening to it earlier. I don't remember hearing what they had to say about any of the other games, though. Well, I haven't. I've only gotten through the Dragon. They did an episode on going to Dragon Meet, sort of the Mm -hmm. almost the Gen Con of the United Kingdom for the first time in thirty years, and how that worked out. I have not actually listened to the Stormbringer ones, but I've heard the others, and they do pretty well. In fact, they do two episodes. It's kind of part one and part two for each show. Hmm. And it's got some interesting stuff. I'm, I've really been impressed with them. Although I, sometimes the accents can be rough, but, you know. I owe you big for letting us do Gamma World first, because I know you wanted to do Traveler. And I was like, please, 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 come to Gamma World. <laughs> That's okay. We'll, we'll get to Traveler one of these days. But anyway, then let's just head right into Top 5. This is your baby, Jim. What is Gamma World? (laughs) I'll I'll go all the way out on the limb in in a way that Jim Ward says is even insane. I think Gamma World, if it had gotten the same marketing attention and support of hardback books that AD&D got, everybody would consider it the second greatest RPG ever. It's It was certainly one of the earlier RPGs after Metamorphosis Alpha and Traveler, uh, science fiction, I mean, and uh, it's post-apocalyptic D&D. That's basically it in a nutshell. I'll admit that it was the second RPG I ever encountered, even before Traveler, and it, we played quite a lot of it when back in the day because it was kind of well it's D, but with robots and mutants and laser guns and didn't I mention laser guns and <laughs> i can bring my laser guns back to D because the dm guide said so so <laughs> well, i won't go that way well I, I can make a good case for why it's such an important rpg because there have been a lot of subsequent science fiction rpgs and uh many of them uh tied into licenses like Star Trek and Doctor Who and Star Wars and things like that. And the problem, the design game mechanics problem, all of those faces, everything after D&D references D&D either by being the same as or different from. And the idea of D&D being a bunch of murder hobos that go underground and explore and kill monsters and steal their stuff. That archetypal D&D, Game World is a perfect science fiction mirror of that in ways that uh, Champions and Star Wars and Star Trek would struggle not to be and eventually figure out ways to be different from. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Although I would ask, you know, it advertises itself as a science fantasy RPG as opposed to science fiction. Do you think that's important? Uh, well, I mean, it's certainly a realistic assessment in the same way that Star Wars and Star Trek are different. I mean, Star Wars is more science fantasy because it's all ridiculous super yeah. science, right? yeah. That the the tech is just hand waved to get the story going along. I mean, if you build a real plasma field and put it into a sword handle, and two of those connect, the EM radiation will kill everybody in a hundred miles. <laughs> or that's, like that that's ro- real science. <laughs> or like that robot chicken episode, Liz, where the guy drops the lightsaber, the lightsaber and it just starts cutting just down <laughs> level after level after level through the Death Star. <laughs> Killing people as it goes. 
No one ever talks about that happening with a lightsaber before. Oh, but... no. And yeah, while I won't say that Traveler is really hard SF, it's certainly harder SF than, than Gamma World well, or Tra- Metamorphosis Alpha. Well, Traveler was designed to be hard at science fiction. Yeah. Although, would you say that Gamma World is sort of uh, Metamorphosis Alpha Part 2? I, I think so. I mean, I, I mean, I we'd have to interview Jim Ward to find out, but it looks to me like they liked uh, Metamorphosis Alpha so much they just wanted a version set in you know a larger arena than a spaceship. So let's do one on a let's do Metamorphosis Alpha on a planet. What will we call it? Alpha, Alpha. I know Gamma World. Gamma, Gamma World. Yeah, okay. yeah. What about you, Liz? What was your experience with Gamma World? Well, I think if I remember correctly, it was the second box set that I purchased after. Aww. After Holmes Basic. And if you look at the Holmes Basic rules and you look at the Gamma World rules, the setup, the layout, typefaces, and everything, they're almost exactly alike. You know, Gamma World was put together in much the same way as Holmes Basic was. And it was a certain familiarity, you know, that was. That's very comforting to me. It's like, oh, this looks like the other set of rules that I have. This is awesome. <laughs> Even the perforated pages in the back. Even the perforated the pages sheets. in the back. Yeah. Although, with my Gamma World box set, I actually got dice with that. <laughs> <laughs> so, that was a big step up right there. Oh, yeah. Uh, today, that's the difference between a $40 copy of Gamma World on eBay and a $100 copy, is if it still has those old clunky dice in it. Those old low-impact... Yeah, I, I still colors. have my dice, yeah. and they're practically still new-looking, too, because I've never really used them all that much. They still sit in the box with the rules and everything. With a yellow D4 that if you use it on your friend, you can be charged for assault with a deadly weapon? <laughs> <laughs> I, always call, so I always call that one Little Campfire, because that's what we used it for. It was For our <laughs> minis, it was always the campfire when we camped. Yeah, I think just about any. Yeah, D4s are just ideal for the campfire or a really small pup tent. Okay, well, now that we've given anybody back uh, a basic background into Gamma World, we'll start with you, Jim. What's your number five? My number five is that Gamma World was written for use with AD&D. As is just like Holmes Basic says, after you've played this, go to the AD&D books, the Dungeon Master's Guide. Page 113 has a section called Mutants and Magic. And uh, so the genre mashing and the combining of systems was something, uh, was an idea that they had very early on at TSR. And I and that's just my cup of tea, uh, in part because I was raised on these games. Um, that wouldn't happen again until Game World 4th Edition, which was a, a Thaco version written to match 2nd um, Edition AD&D. Okay. That's my yes. number five. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay. Well, I'm going to say my number five. I really like the idea of how rather than having class abilities, advancing with experience points, you instead have attribute increases. Basically, when you make up your character, you're either a pure strain human, you're a quote-unquote humanoid, and that could be anything from you're a human in all respects, but you've got a couple of mutations to something else. A mutant animal, yeah. Yeah, you can be a mutant animal, you can be a mutant intelligent plant creature, you know. But that's as far as it goes with your characterizations. You don't have, you know, classes after you choose your race. And, you know, in a way, this is your race is your class. And <laughs> there you go. 
More Holmesian. That's class, yeah. And the differentiation comes from whether or not you have mutations, what mutations you've got. And as as you gain experience, once you hit that threshold of the next level, you roll a die to randomly determine which of your attributes is going to increase by one. And so as you go on, you know, even if you may start out with um, some fairly low attributes, you have the opportunity to raise them as, you know, in the course of gameplay. It seems to be kind of a happy medium almost between a class-based game and a, you know, a, a stats-based game. It is about one wacky experience point system because as you hit each level, even though they're not called levels in Camera World, you just get that, you, you roll a D10 and find out what you get. <laughs> yeah. So you don't even know. You can't say, well, I've raised a level. I want to increase my intelligence. You don't get to pick. It's going to be, it's going to happen randomly. It's totally random. And that's interesting in a way, but in another way, I think I kind of like the idea of, you know, I would do it where... As the the GM would say, okay, you've increased in level. Your character has done a lot of work figuring out artifacts and other intelligence-based activities. So I say you're going to get a plus one to your intelligence stat because that's where most of your work has been done over the past few game sessions. Mm. Uh, I think that makes more sense, but on the other hand, you know, the randomness of it can, you know, have a fun appeal too. So that that's interesting because it gets to my number five, which is it is another example of the old school paradigm of balance in character generation by the use of random tables. Yeah. The the first edition actually provides two ways to do it. One was the old kind of metamorphosis alpha method where you roll up some random powers. Or mutations, and then the GM awards you X number of bad mutations, you know, liabilities. Or you can use just a totally random table. You can either, that way, if you're really lucky, you may not get any defects at all. Or if you're really unlucky, you get a whole bunch of defects. <laughs> we always use the second table, I guess, because it was more lottery ish, you know, because you it never knew what you were going yeah. Well, that and just more exciting because you never knew what you were going to come up with. And this is a very early system that kind of pioneered the idea that you would have skills that helped you, but if you got enough, they would cost you by having drawbacks, which didn't really exist in D&D at the time. Mm-hmm. Those defects that you could pick up. Yeah. All right. Number four, Jim? Wow. We, we were early. Liz already got my number four, so I'll just move it up to the... Yeah, you got my number six. (laughs) My my bonus number four. Um, There's a... uh, I'm going to go ahead and do the combat system, since we were talking about that off air. Is that okay? Sure. The uh, combat system in Gamma World is this really... I I appreciate... We just played it back in the day, but now I look back on it after having read John and Peterson's book, and it's a really interesting amalgam of uh, Metamorphosis Alpha and Proto-AD&D, because there are attack matrices with Descending Armor class, just like you would have in AD&D, 
but carried over from uh, Metamorphosis Alpha, there's three basic attack matrices that don't have anything to do with your character level because there aren't any character levels or experience level. It's uh, if you're attacking with a weapon, either mundane or artifact, it's by weapon class, just like in Metamorphosis Alpha. If it's a physical attack, melee, melee attack, or a uh, physical mutation, it's by your hit dice, whatever those you happen to roll up by mental strength. There's a mental matrices that covers all mental mutations. So you've got three different ways to attack by weapon class, hit die for melee and physical mutations, and mental strength for mental mutations. And it actually works really well when you play it. That, that sounded complicated. If you play D&D or AD&D combat systems, it's very, you'll, you'll slide into it pretty seamlessly, I think. In fact, I prefer their the way that uh, mental combat, you know, with like mental mutations is done here better than the psionic system in AD&D. Yeah, I, was, I was thinking that myself when I was reading over this again, that, you know, if you could take the mental mutations and the way combat is done with them in the Gamma World rules and just port them over to first edition psionic rules... Yeah, I I think I would prefer to use that. Mm-hmm. Is that your fourth? Yes. Okay. Liz? Okay. Um, my number four. One of the things that really struck me when I started reading over the Gamma World rules again, going over the introduction and James Ward talking about the events that eventually lead up to the apocalypse. And reading that, you know, they're almost, his words are almost chillingly prophetic when held up against some of the events of today, talking about how people are breaking up into factions. Special interest groups. Special interest groups enthusiasm changing to mania, then to hatred of those who hold opposing viewpoints. And it's like, wow, you know, he could have been writing about some of the stuff that's going on with political parties, interest groups, etc. today. And some of the vitriol that you read on the internet or hear people screaming at each other. Like, fortunately, we do not have the level of technology that the people of 2322 have in the gamma world <laughs> thank god so but, but who, who needs a suitcase nuke when you've got facebook to hate with in, <laughs> in, indeed it's like wow you know jim is writing this in the what the late 70s 1978 mm. and it's like he could have been writing about you know the 2000s it's like oh, really interesting. And, yeah, and it was you know, when I first read about the introduction way back when, it was, you know, an interesting what if scenario and it didn't really mean much to, you know, twelve year old me at the time, but now it's like damn. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, my number four is I really like how Gamma World deals with poisons and radiations as hazards. Yeah, um, baby. Especially the poison system, because it's very intuitive. You know, it actually bases off your constitution score. And for everybody, the 
game has six attributes and they're rolled by 3d6. Um, although they do give an option for 46 drop lowest. Um, but yeah, I mean, your constitution, depending on the strength of the poison, which is directly analogous to the strength of, you know, a, a character's constitution, and it's kind of opposed, there's a matrices where, you know, you just grid it out between the two and that's it, which was a lot less confusing than some of the D&D and AD&D poison systems. No saving throws. I mean, if you've got a three, Very true. if you've got a three constitution and you hit a seventeen level radiation, uh, you're D. You're dead. <laughs> crispy, crispy dead. <laughs> so yeah, I I really I really like how that how it deals with that. It it's quick and it's lethal. I think that's something that can be said about Gamma World. That now that I've met and gotten to know Jim Ward. I can definitely see his gaming style here because it's high reward but high lethality. All right, Jim, your number three. Well, uh, that will segue nicely into my number three because it's just uh, ridiculous, awesome, super science combined with deadly earnest danger that is the charm of Gamma World to me. And uh, exactly what you were talking about with those uh, radiation and poison matrices at the in between levels where you're not dying, but you're taking dice of damage, you know, like, okay, at a certain point, all right, that poison did 3d6 to you. Um, that's not as bad as it seems because uh, Gamma World, uh, like Metamorphosis Alpha, your hit points are determined upon character creation by d6 times how whatever your constitution is, and that's all the hit points you're ever getting. But you start out with a fairly strong character that's not going to step outside the front door like a first level magic user step on a thorn bush and and die yeah Yeah. you're kind of front loaded that way Mm -hmm. which is nice (laughs) okay uh liz uh number three okay creature names i i do have to admit (laughs) they 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 seem to be a weak point in the game is the name some of some of them make a certain amount of sense. You know, the intelligent badger creatures are called badders, you know, and you can see that that's kind of, you know, almost certainly a, you know, a corruption of badger. Hissers. Yeah. The snake men. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some of them make sense to me. I can see why they would be called that. Other creatures... Their names look like a random name generator was used to make them. You know, By a vowel. Yeah, what are, what's that up ahead? It's a horal chew. Gazoonite! <laughs> you know? Oh man, I love horal chew. Especially with a sweet and sour sauce. I, it's like, how did you do this? You know, well, it's like, did you have a bunch of, you know, tiles from... <laughs> You know, from scattergories or something, you know, it's like shake up all the alphabet tiles and then pick some randomly and, you know, do try to figure out what word can I make out of this with these Scrabble tiles. Uh, I, you know, I take your point, but I so did this in Mutant Crawl Classics where I intentionally made the most awkward to pronounce words for some of the monster names. Let me ask you a question, Liz. Between this and Metamorphosis Alpha, do you prefer the names in Gamma World, like Batter, or do you prefer in Metamorphosis Alpha where everything's Oid? It's a, it's a tiger Oid. Badger Oid. Yeah. <laughs> ah, well, I must admit, 
you know, probably this is a a post-apocalyptic, Thundar-esque sort of world. You know, people aren't going to be saying this is a badgeroid. They're going to have made up some ridiculous word to call something. Demon dogs. <laughs> yeah, they'd probably be calling them demon dogs. <laughs> but... Let's see. They were they were writing this in '77, so that was pre-Thundar. So yeah, because I'm but you know you Thundar said Thundar, and I'm thinking Ukla the Mock. That's not the most easy to say thing. Yeah, but that was '79, '80. So he's a mock. Thanks too, a lot. Yeah, not. Too far down the way. And you, same with rock and roll. Are you mocking me? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I am mocking you with Ukla. <laughs> Great band, by the way. Ukla the Mock. Oh, yeah. Ukla and the Mock. Yeah, yeah. Actually, that sounds like BJ and the Bear or something. Anyway, my number three, I like how cryptic alliances are created as sort of an alignment system, but not. Yeah, baby. Now, if you if you join one of the secret cults, it kind of gives an idea off the top, you know, a quick reference to what kind of personality you might have or your belief system, but it's not a straitjacket. And some of them are just hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Back in the day, we were fighting those knights of genetic purity like crazy because they were basically red-caped Nazis. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's nothing to, to – to, there's no redeeming quality to a knight of genetic purity. I mean, it's just whack them. On the other hand, the archivists, you know, who collect all this technology, then deactivate it, polish it, and worship it, you know, to most player characters, that's – no, but that's, <laughs> that's a powered assault armor. You can't just leave it there and polish it. Hey, what are you guys doing with a whole hut full of my stuff? <laughs> exactly. My, my future stuff. <laughs> hey, there's some more stuff out there. No, no, I'll keep an eye on your stuff. Anyway. So, yeah, I really like the cryptic alliances. I think that's a great way of getting, you know, not only an, an, a pseudo alignment system, but also plot connections to get characters involved in things. So that's that's my three. So you're two, Jim. Oh, we're to two already. Let's see. You guys have taken so many of mine. Let me make sure I don't take one of yours. The <laughs> artifact uh, charts in Gamma World are an experience everyone should have. They they were so much fun. <laughs> they carried these things all the way through to 4th edition, where it's a flow chart with just crazy different outcomes, little skulls, different die rolls to get them. And on the surface, it would seem like it would be the giantest pain in the ass ever. And it can be. I We... Uh, about a year ago, we were playing um, uh, Expedition to the Barrier Peaks, which has Gary's version of the Game World artifact chart, and it took this uh, took Marcos forty five minutes and two D <laughs> and two D six punches to his own face to figure out the power armor. Yeah. <laughs> but it was an awesome forty five minutes. But again, that gets that old school idea of using randomness as a balancer. And this kind of plays off our gaming styles episode for Save or Die, because obviously this is a situation where the GM or referee does not want the player using their player knowledge of how to use a machine gun. Right. Then right. There's, no, there, there's no challenge at all. You know exactly what you're doing. They're like, no, no, you've got to go the random tables and or oh, flow chart, chart, I should say. Chart C 
just glancing at it, your your eyes start to glaze over. In you know, chart A fairly straightforward, fairly simple. Chart B also looks you know like it makes geometric sense. You get to chart C and you've got arrows going all over the place, and you know virtually nothing's in a straight line anymore. And he's like, "Ah!" <laughs> <laughs> it's it's one of those old school systems that, that you know somebody that's like that didn't start with game world first edition like say 40 and under you you would have to sit them down and get them to play it for them to understand it how much fun it can be because it just looks horrendous yeah or if they haven't played expedition of the barrier peaks for AD&D since it used more or less a, a very similar if not an exact system i honestly don't know for all i know they photocopied them out of gamma world for that i I never made a comparison. I've never compared them either, but they are definitely of the same hand. Yeah. Okay, Liz, you're number two. Oh, no, number two. I'll kind of revisit or talk about the um, the different uh, cryptic alliances. My number two is the specific cryptic alliance of the Friends of Entropy. <laughs> These guys are awesome. <laughs> They hate everyone. <laughs> Pretty really? much. Yep, they're they they want to destroy everything. They but, want to kill everyone, apparently even themselves. <laughs> no life left on earth anywhere. Kind of your post-apocalyptic Cthulhu worshipers. Kind of, yeah. yeah. And you know, you've Again, got Again, no redeeming qualities. Yeah. It's like, you know, they have no friends. They probably don't even like each other. And second, you'll notice their acronym is FOE. This is how you know they're the bad guys. <laughs> 40 years, and I didn't pick up on that list. Thank you. <laughs> and best of all, you know, all the cryptic alliances have a little secret signal that they use to subtly let anyone in the area know who they're allied with, just in case there are like-minded individuals. The incredibly subtle secret signal of the Friends of Entropy is to take a red cloth, polish a dagger or a short sword blade, and then stab the blade through the red cloth. <laughs> it's like, well, I think everybody in the room now knows that you're part of the Friends of Entropy. <laughs> I still say that it's that way because if the person doesn't recognize it, you've already got your blade out and you can kill them. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's like, you know, everybody else's secret signal is, you know, just a very subtle hand movement or, you know, you're scanning the horizon using both hands to shade your eyes or, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's like, I stabbed the red cloth with my... <laughs> Dude, my players back in the day, it was like the Crips and the Bloods. The second they saw any cloth colored red, they just went for the guy right then. They didn't. They didn't wait to see the signal. You mean, you mean red shirts? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah, Friends of Entropy, awesome group. Awesome group. Okay. Mine and I. My number two, and this has to do with. My, actually being a fan of Traveler, and it's a criticism I have of Traveler that I cannot give Gamma World, is they have a nice variety of robots, all 
different type robots, rules for robots. It's really cool. Traveler never had robot rules in the initial game. It had Starship rules, but not robot rules. They had to wait a future supplement so you could figure out how to use robots. And I like the robot systems they built here, both the AIs and the relative mindless, you know, just maintenance bots. That, I, I was really pleased with that. Robots are why pure strain humans are not the weakest characters, even though they start out that way. Exactly. You've got the, that's their Benny. That and the supposed, you know, awe everyone holds them in. Aww. No, wait. <laughs> Aww, he's a poor strain human. <laughs> okay, number one, Jim. Oh, Liz, you're torturing me because I, I have, by the process of elimination, figured out your number one, so I can't do it, right? So <laughs> I'll go with the um, the very old school-esque complete lack of balance in the mutations themselves. I mean, there are some very straightforward mutations that make perfect sense. Extra body parts, heightened strength, heightened intelligence, and then there are just these wackadoo game-breaking <laughs> mutations like Life Leech where the mutant can drain six hit points per person per round in their range. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's, a, that's a campaign-breaking mutation that you can either randomly roll out, or as the character creation rules also suggest, you can let the players pick out that. And uh, I've even talked to James uh, M. Ward about this, and he's just, you know, his attitude is, that's not a game-breaking mutation. It just depends on how good a GM you are. And I actually agree with that. But on the surface, uh, and... Uh, the corresponding one is uh, regeneration, where you heal one hit point per five kilograms of body weight per day. Or uh, time field manipulation. I would yeah. never <laughs> let a player have time field manipulation, because now you've got time travel in the game, which oh, is very at difficult to At least they did try to make it hard to get time field manipulation. Because I think you have to have both an 18 intelligence and a heightened intelligence right, right, um, right. skill. So you have to have both of those things in your favor before you can get time field manipulation. But you know, even so, I mean, but, there's a lot you could do. But that's with just that. like that's just like you have a player who's determined to have an 18 double zero strength paladin. He will sit there and generate 80 characters in a row till he gets it. Yeah, and, and yep. then you got to deal with it. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, but okay. Well. Yours, Liz? Hoops. <laughs> <laughs> they are so awesome. You're they not, are even... They're not thinking of names awesome that don't them. really mean anything for the animal. I can't believe you didn't go with the Yexel. Yeah, well... <laughs> that and the Podog and... <laughs> and <laughs> there, are some, there are some really neat mutated creatures in the world of Gamma World. Um things that happen to animals that we are familiar with today and it it's it's very interesting to go through the you know just weird names aside you know they they are there are some really inspired clever ideas about how some animals could have mutated into something very different and you know things that were an annoyance before now are something that could kill you. <laughs> yeah, so, but, but, like they, but, but why hoops, Liz? Why are hoops the kill-on-sight orcs of Gamma World? Because they have the ability to transform anything metal that they touch into rubber. And so that awesome suit of power armor that you have, or that really awesome ray gun that you have, and it took you... 
you know, three weeks to figure out how to do it and you shot Billy's hand off in the process. You know, you went through a lot to get that gun and this giant intelligent rabbit creature just kind of poked at it with a with a little clawed finger and it's done. You know? <laughs> They're even worse than rust monsters because they do it at will. It's not everything. They can yeah, wear armor they decide weapons. They decide when to use it. They so, so mitigated that in later editions where it's a temporary effect and it has to be all these extra things to work. But in first edition, <laughs> man, it just happens. Yeah, yeah, it's like it, a three-meter three radius or something. Yeah, yeah. but, like, you know, it has ooh. to be... You know, it has to be connected to the point where they're touching. Right, right. Um, so it's not like I touch this guy's handgun and all metal in a three-meter radius goes. It's like, no. But, you know, say if but there's... But if you're a, in power armor. Yeah, if you're in power armor and he's like... Because even if you just transform part of it into rubber, you have almost certainly screwed up the chances of it ever working ever again. <laughs> like, I just put power cells in this thing. it's like yeah hoops are i mean (laughs) oh it's just a little bunny rabbit (laughs) well and the iconic dave trampier art because like later when it was jeff easily art in later editions like starting with number two it's a properly evil looking sentient bipedal rabbit you know with armor and stuff but but in first edition camera world dave tramp just gives you this big cute this mob of little white bunnies with rifles coming over the hill they look like they might be friendly let's talk to them then they get closer you realize they're about eight feet tall and okay maybe they're not so big but they're so cute they're they're cute um i've got some extra lettuce in my in my pack um i we can talk to them (laughs) lettuceoid it's like okay well mine jim already kind of touched on it at the beginning but what i really liked is of all the rpgs that TSR published in this era for the 70s and 80s. Gamma World was far and away the easiest to convert over to D&D. Um, we used some of the creatures from Gamma World in D&D and vice versa. And that, you know, it, in a way it just kind of gives you double the possibilities for the monsters, for the artifacts... Yeah, having technology in your fantasy wasn't as weird as it seems to strike people now. I love how in the DMG rules for converting back and forth, my favorite rule is that D&D characters in Gamma World have no radiation resistance. And At all, yeah. Gamma World characters in D&D have no magic resistance and get no saves against spells. That's a wake-up yeah. call. Because at first you're feeling pretty good. I've got a laser rifle. I can take this dragon out. Eh. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So, but even so, it, again, when you look at, say, Boot Hill or Top Secret, it's a lot harder to convert over from them to D&D and back, but not hard at all. I literally, I think the mental strength for wisdom is really the only attribute conversion. And since it's all still on a 3 to 18, it's really cool. So those are our top five faves when it comes to the Gamma World RPG. Woohoo! Woohoo! I believe the latest version of it for sale is based on the fourth edition D and D rules, so we wouldn't recommend that. But I believe the first edition Camworld is on Drive Through RPG as a PDF, isn't it? Oh, it pains me to say this. I looked it up on uh, Wizards of the Coast 
although uh, they licensed Gamma World to White Wolf to do the 6th edition, those are the two versions. 7th and 6th are now, Wizard of Coast must have yanked it back, are now for sale as PDFs, but not 1st edition. Oh, man. So if you want it, instead of radiation, if you want it to all be cyberpunk and nanobots, there's 6th edition in PDF form. The only version I didn't run. Otherwise, you can either find a PDF or purchase via Noble Knight Games or eBay copies of the box sets for uh, fairly reasonable prices. You can just catch the first edition rulebook for like 30 40 bucks, so it's not impossibly yeah, expensive. Yeah, it's not possibly. All right, well, we are going to go out on something unusual. Instead of the Hulk theme, we're going to describe what kind of person or creature would you be if you were in Gamma World. And we'll start we with Jim. That. I was going to say, before we do that, though, I would like to let everybody know if they want to write the podcast, um, please send any oh, yeah. emails to us to podcast at gmail.com. And we'll, we'll start reading your emails in future Save for Half episodes. Oh, I should have said this in the announcement. You just reminded me. Uh, we can't do this podcast without mentioning that just the past two weeks, somebody uh, on RBG.net got their hands at a garage or estate sale a playtest copy of First Edition Camera World and put pictures up. And we'll put a link to that in the show notes. It's it's. Cl- I mean, it's, John Peterson hasn't given it seal of approval or anything like that or Jim Ward, but it's clearly actual and real. 1977 playtest notes for Camera World. Playtest but versions of the rules. But just to be clear, you don't have to get that one in order to play <laughs> So, you know, just just so you know. There's already a line of people trying to buy it from him. Sure, <laughs> but not, not in any price range. I mean, Here's I my house, the title to my house. Can I have a copy? <laughs> All right. Well, what Gamma World goodness would you be, Jim? Uh, I have a Gamma World character in Michael Curtis's universe, so I will uh, go out as Gigantor, who's 18 feet tall. Makes it hard Woo-hoo! to get through a dungeon, and with four arms and a big sword, because he's that Grenadier mini guy with the mohawk. Awesome. Liz? I think I'd have to be a hoop. <laughs> <laughs> a cute little bunny who can totally mess up your world. Yeah, that sounds That's accurate. right. That's right. I am I'm cute, but deadly. <laughs> Should have the voice of the weasels in Roger Rabbit. That's a nice black ray gun you got there. Be ashamed if it point down. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would have been a really cool security robot, but the but Liz got near me, and now I'm a big rubber square. So <laughs> that's it for Safer Half. Write us, and uh, hopefully we'll be back soon with a new episode. See ya. Bye-bye. Cheery bye. And we're out. Mama don't allow no above ground nuclear testing around here. Mama don't allow no above ground nuclear testing around here. 